Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. All right, let me take you, invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 is where we'll spend our time this morning as we uh, work our way through this wonderful letter written by the Apostle Paul. And we're, we're about halfway there. We're in chapter 3, so we've got chapter 3 and chapter 4. And, and really, this is where it gets rich because, because, I mean, Paul is renewing his focus in this letter at this point on what it means to really have joy in life. And, and let's just be honest, uh, this is a message we need to continue to hear. How do we have joy in Jesus? And, and why do we have joy in Jesus? And the, these are, are, are great verses. And if you just humor, humor me for just a moment, don't, don't breathe on each other as you do it, right? Uh, so hold your breath and, and, and just look around. Look around this room this morning. It's amazing to me, right? Because, because, and I see some of you waving people you haven't seen in a long time, and that's cool. Because what was it? Back March, we stopped. We stopped meeting together completely, at least in this capacity. And I can remember very vividly the first Sunday that none of you were here, and I was on this stage looking to an empty room. And, and, and those questions that, that, that just filled my mind and, and the mind of, of other leaders in our church. Will we ever get back to normal? Will people come back to church? What's gonna happen, right? And just the, over the course of the last couple of months, just all the, the, the questions, all the doubts, all of the, honestly, lack of faith in some ways and, and the roller coaster. And I look around this morning, and I know that we have lots of people who are still choosing to watch us via Facebook and, and, and aren't quite ready to come back yet, and I, and I get that. And, but look around this room. We're, this room is almost full this morning. And so just a reminder to me, and hopefully a reminder to you as well, that yes, these are uncertain days, and we still need to take lots of precautions. We need to be safe, and, and, and we, we're going to try our best to be. But, man, just think about it, man. Look around this room this morning. It's just evidence to me, and hopefully evidence to you as well, Nothing, nothing, nothing can stop God's church, right? Isn't that good to know that? that... And, and if you think about it, and I, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to preach in a moment. This is not preaching. This is extra. Uh, so, um, you know, you, you think about it. If, if, if someone was going to stop God's church, it would have happened a long time ago, right? Because there's been pandemics, there's been wars, there's been everything between and nothing has ever stopped God's church and nothing ever will. And so I, mean, I believe that and part of the reason why you're here this morning is because you believe that. You believe that in this world of uncertainty, this is it. This is what's certain. 
That we have a sure Savior who will give us victory. And, and so now we turn to Philippians chapter 3, and Paul's just reminding us of that. I read an interesting story this week, and uh, maybe you saw it, I don't know, but there was this, 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 this young guy, uh, he, he's late 20s, early 30s, he's a philosopher. And so what that means is he sits, sits around all day and thinks, right? That's just what he does. And, and so he, he made the decision uh, to take a monastic retreat. So he went up to the, 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 the hills of Vermont and he, he went to this monastery in Vermont and was there for 75 days. And for 75 days, he said nothing. And over those 75 days, here's what he did. He walked around the grounds of that uh, monastery. He ate, he said, he slept and he meditated for 75 days. Now he did this. Now watch, this is what's really interesting. He began his, his uh, monastic journey beginning of March. So coronavirus hadn't really hit yet. We knew it was out there, right? We were already hearing about it in China and, and things of that nature, but it hadn't really hit the U.S. yet. And so, so watch, beginning of March, he left. He left, you know, his home and went to this place in Vermont, completely shut off from the rest of the world. He didn't watch Fox News or CNN or didn't hear Rush Limbaugh or whoever it is, he, none of that. He was completely cut off from everything and everybody uh, for 75 days. When he came back to reality, he got on his Twitter account and this is the way he tweeted. Listen, I'm back from 75 days in silence. Did I miss anything? <laughs> Don't you wish, right? Don't you wish you'd have missed about 75 days this year, right? I mean, can you imagine? But we didn't miss 75 days. You and I have been walking through this crazy journey. And I know for some of us, if you're like me, like 2021 cannot get here fast enough because it's got to get better, right? But right now, it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. Here we are, and, and in our state, you know, cases of the coronavirus are on the rise. And, and, and forget coronavirus, that's bad enough. But now with everything else going on in our country, the unrest and the, the racial divide in our nation, I mean, it's heartbreaking. And I don't know if you've kept up with what's going on in Atlanta, but it's not getting any better. And if you're like me, you read something like what Paul writes in Philippians and, and Paul's telling us over and over again, it's gonna be okay. Have joy, have joy. And come on, Paul, really? Do you know where I live? You weren't struggling with coronavirus, Paul. You didn't live in a divided nation like I do, Paul. Have joy? Are you serious? But in this passage, the Paul, Paul, the apostle who was in prison when he wrote these words, he tells us exactly why we can have joy. No matter your circumstances, no matter your struggles. I mean, forget coronavirus and forget the, the, the civil unrest. The everyday stuff disease and marriage problems and raising kids and trying to work for a living. I mean, joy? Can I really have it? Does it really exist? And Paul would say a resounding yes. And in these words we're gonna look at this morning, Paul's gonna tell us exactly why we can have joy. Now, we're gonna get into all this in a moment. I know this isn't gonna be new information for you, but you need these reminders this morning. And from this passage, what I wanna show you in the time we have, I wanna show you two reasons why you and I can have joy even in the midst of everything we're going through in this nation and in this world right now. And, 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 and listen, you gotta get this. These two reasons we're gonna talk about this morning, they really center around one word. 
confidence. We have joy because we have confidence. Confidence. Not in a president, not in a nation, not in doctors, not in scientists, but instead we have confidence in a risen Lord, right? So, so we're gonna see two reasons this morning why we can have joy in the midst of what we're experiencing. Take your Bibles, Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, thank you for this morning and for time in your word. Now, Father, as we study together, help us to listen carefully to what you're saying to us and help us to respond to your word this morning in faith and obedience and help us this morning to know that in Christ, there really is joy. Help us to live in that joy and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. All right, so you see what Paul says. I mean, we, we've worked through the first couple of chapters now and, and he, he's, he's told these people to walk worthy of the gospel. He's told them about the sacrifice of Christ. He's, he's told them all these wonderful things. And now he says, finally. Now, when you think of that word, finally, he, he's not using that word in the language like, okay, I'm about to end up, right? It's not like in conclusion, uh, because obviously this is not the conclusion. We've got two more chapters to go. So when you read that word, finally, think maybe the word further. Furthermore, Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul's obviously already said this. And if you were a part of the church of Philippi and, 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 and when this letter was delivered to your church and, and that person got up to read the letter and, and, and you read that part for the first time where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, everyone in the room was thinking the same thing. Come on, Paul, you've told us this a million times. Like, don't you have something new? And Paul says, no, I don't. Look at what he says. He says, look, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul knows it. He knows that he sounds like a broken record. Paul knows it, right? He's got one message. He's got the message of Jesus Christ and that's it. And, 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 I, and I bet you, and you wouldn't say this to me because you wouldn't want to hurt my feelings, right? But, but I bet you, unless you're just a mean person and maybe you are, I have no idea, but I bet you, you, you sit in this room this morning and, and you think the same thing of me. That preacher sounds like a broken record. Like every Sunday it's the same thing. Jesus, 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 right? Open your Bibles and a Chick-fil-A joke. That's all we ever get, right? And so you, you think the same thing is a broken record. But, but here's the truth. 
Whether you know this or not, you need a broken record. Because think about it. You have this crazy world that we live in and, and this crazy world is constantly trying to turn you away from the truth. And, and so over and over again, whether you recognize it or not, you need to hear the same thing over and over again. You need the constant reminder of where real joy is found. And so now Paul's saying, I know you've heard this before. I ain't giving you anything new. I know I sound like a broken record, but listen, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul also knows this. There are gonna be some joy robbers. There are gonna be some things that that turn our attention away from the joy that we can have in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does is he just simply begins to list those joy robbers. What steals our joy. And, And so let me show you. Let me just walk through this real quick, right? Your joy is robbed when you put your confidence in the wrong people. Look at what he says. You, you come down to the next verse and says, Paul says, look, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, obviously, when you think about a dog, you think about the dog you have at home. I think about our little dog bear, our half poodle, half spaniel, who sleeps in the bed with us, who gets more attention in the house than anybody else does, right? And that's what you think about too. You think about your dog that you love, whatever your dog's name is, what kind of dog it is. We love dogs. But in the first century, you know, a dog wasn't a domesticated animal. It was a pack animal. And, and you would see them roaming the streets of the ancient world, attacking. And, and, and you know this, in those days, dogs were considered dirty. They'd eat anything. A dog would eat its own vomit. It gets no dirtier than that. And so, so talk about racism. Now watch this. You know what Jewish people did? Jewish people, they thought they were superior to everybody else. After all, they worshiped Yahweh. I mean, they had Abraham as their father. God gave them the law through Moses. I mean, talk about superiority. Uh, Jews thought of themselves as superior. And so if you were not a Jew, you know what a Jew would call you back in these days? A dog. They called Gentiles dogs. I mean, you can see examples of this. We had time in the gospels. Dogs. And now Paul says, watch this, beware of the dogs. And when he says this, he's not talking about Gentiles. He's talking about a specific group, actually, of Jewish people. Jewish people who had supposedly given their lives to Jesus. Jewish people who believed that Jesus was God, who believed that Jesus rose from the dead, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul directly talks about this group in the letter to the church at Galatia. You might've heard this word before. It's a group of people called Judaizers. You know who the Judaizers were? These were Jewish believers in Jesus who believed that Jesus was God, that you need to give your life to him, but they were also holding on to their traditions and religious rituals. And so so this is what they would do. If, If you were a Gentile, and you came to faith in Jesus Christ, these Judaizers would say to you, man, congratulations, man, that's awesome. You trusted Jesus, you were baptized, that's a good thing. But, 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 but wait a minute, you ain't done quite yet. Got another step for you to take. You need to be circumcised. It's not something you wanna hear, right? But, but, but if you really wanna be in, if you really wanna be a part of the family, if you really wanna be one of us, we're glad you accepted Jesus, but, but there's a little bit more. You've got to be circumcised as well. And so essentially what they were saying, whether they knew this or not, they were saying, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. 
You need more. You need to follow our traditions, our customs. You need to become Jewish, right? And so Paul says, now, listen, guys, beware. Beware of the dogs. That's all they are. Uh, They're going to try to steal your joy because they're going to sell you a false message. They are going to tell you what? They're going to tell you, you need more than Jesus. And really all they're doing is they're just mutilating the flesh, right? That's, That's all they're doing. We are the true circumcision. Not because of something outwardly that's been done to our body, but because we worship the risen Lord. It's all that matters. That's enough that you know Jesus. And so, so Paul says, listen, just be careful. Your joy is gonna be robbed when you put your confidence in the wrong people. And you know this, we don't have to talk very long about this, but you know how this works in your life as well. That there are people who are trying to pull you away from the truth of the gospel. And they'll rob your joy every single time. People who are trying, and maybe with good intentions, to get you to live life a different way. Don't be so fanatical about Jesus. There's a different way, right? But be careful. When you put your confidence in the wrong people, it will rob you of your joy. Or or when you put your confidence in your religion, because after all, that's what these Jewish false teachers were doing. Put your confidence in our religion. And that's where Paul just lays it down for the church at Philippi. Because essentially what Paul says is these Judaizers who want you to be circumcised, who are holding on to their religion, I was once like them, right? I come from a background that, that, that champions and, and prizes religion. And so what Paul does is, it's really interesting. And, and if you've been around the church much, if you've read the Bible much, you've probably come across this passage before, haven't you? Because what Paul does is he, he lays down his spiritual resume to, to show these people, to show the church at Philippi, if, if, if anyone could have confidence in his accomplishments, if anyone can have confidence in his background and what he's done, then it's me, right? Man, I've done it all. I've been there. I've, I've, I've climbed the ladder. I've been a part of the right family. I've done it all. But I didn't find joy there. Look at what Paul says. This is really good, isn't it? So you see where he talks about the dogs and, and, and then you come to verse four. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, right? If anyone can talk about what he's accomplished in life, if anyone can talk about how religious he is and the traditions and rituals he's kept, I can do it. Look at what Paul says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, look at me. You get no more Jewish than me. You get no more religious to me. When I was eight days old, my mom and dad, they they took me. They took me to the synagogue and I was circumcised like you're supposed to be. I was religious, right? But what Paul's gonna show us, right? There's no joy there. When you put your confidence in your religion, there's really no joy there. And and you probably know that too because some of you are, are pretty religious. You show up for church every Sunday. You serve in a ministry, You're around a lot, but something's still not quite right with you. You thought that if you just went to church enough, you thought that if you just did enough good church kind of stuff, you thought that, you know, if I just hung around religion enough that there'd be some joy in that. But you haven't found it yet. 
And Paul knows this. Look what else, what else Paul says. Your joy is robbed when you put your confidence in the wrong people. It's robbed when you put your confidence in religion. And it's robbed when you put your confidence in your, watch this, ethnicity. Look at what Paul says. You couldn't call Paul a dog, right? You couldn't accuse him of being a dog. Look at what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh and also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Now watch this, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You, you get no more Jewish than Paul. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I don't know if you know this or not, but that, that was the tribe that King Saul was born of. And so, so Paul's saying, listen, I have royal Jewish blood in me. I came from the right family. Came from the right tribe. I got the right skin color. I come from the right nation. So what? Has it made me any more joyful? And some of us think that because we're Americans, right? Land of the free, home of the brave. The greatest land on the face of the planet. That's something, right? But be honest, it's great to be an American. But how joyous is it? Where I was born in the right family, I got the right skin color, or I've got the wrong skin color, I don't know, but, but, but there's no joy in that either, right? Your ethnic background isn't what gives you joy in life. And Paul goes on. As to the law, a Pharisee, position. But not only am, I'm, I'm, am I a Jew through and through, I was a Pharisee. I had, I had authority. People looked to me for, for spiritual guidance and, and wisdom. I had the right position. I climbed the ladder. I, I was somebody. But there was no joy in that position either. Right? Or he goes on. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Right? I mean, you think about it. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to persecute zealous, I was passionate. There's no joy in that passion either. And some of you in this room, you're zealous. You're passionate about religion. You're passionate about politics. You're passionate about whatever it is you're passionate about. That passion hasn't brought you a lot of joy. Or think about it. Rule keeping. I've, I've done all the right things, Paul says. As, as to the law, that was blameless. You could not accuse me of wrongdoing. I, I kept it. I was good. If anyone deserves a spot in heaven, it's me. Born of the right tribe. Zeal, position, passion, right? Blameless. Paul had accomplished all of these things. He was all these things. But what Paul found out, one particular day in his life, was that there was no joy in that. Because think about it. Something happened. Acts chapter nine. Paul, who had accomplished all these things, who had worked his way up to be this, this Pharisee who studied under the feet of Gamaliel. He, he, he was on his way to persecute Christians and on his way to persecute Christians in Acts chapter nine, on that road to Damascus, something happened. Jesus, Jesus appeared to him. Now, now, Paul knew about Jesus, right? But I mean, Paul, Paul knew about the story of Jesus and, and Paul knew that Jesus was crucified on the cross and, and Paul even heard about the resurrection of Jesus. But, but think about it, right? In Paul's mind, 
just like every other Jewish person who rejected Jesus, that resurrection story was a hoax. The disciples of Jesus made it up. It didn't happen. People don't rise from the dead. But, but then on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to Paul. And Paul, now watch this. You got to get this. Paul saw the resurrected Lord. You know what this means? If, if Jesus had really risen from the dead, for Paul, what that means is that everything he had accomplished, everything that he had lived for, now watch, was wrong. It didn't matter. Because the religious system he grew up in said, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, you'll make it. You'll be right before God. You'll have prestige, you'll have influence. If you do these things, and then Paul met Jesus. And there was a recognition in Paul's mind. It wasn't about what Paul had accomplished because none of Paul's accomplishments were going to earn him a spot in heaven. None of Paul's accomplishments were gonna make him right before God. It wasn't about what Paul had accomplished. It was about what Jesus had accomplished through his death and resurrection. Paul's gonna go on to say, isn't he? That man, he recognized that he was a sinner a sinner condemned to hell, but then he met Jesus and everything changed. Now, you understand why? You understand why why Paul says what he does in the next couple of verses. Look at what it says, verse seven. And this really is, right? Kind of the the, the core verse in, in this particular passage. Paul says what? But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Isn't this good? Talk about accomplishments. Paul says, I've, I've got them. But you know this. And come on now, you, you know this intuitively. Because there are, are, are people in this room, you've accomplished things in your life. Haven't you? You've gotten the, the, the degree. You married the person of your dreams. You got the promotion. You made the salary. You bought the house. You've accomplished things. But every time you accomplish something, Right? You say what? Is that it? My son Hudson, he, he is turning six in August and um, he turned five last August, obviously. And, and so, so, so the day after he turned five and we had his birthday party last year, he began saying, for my sixth birthday, I want, right? For my si-, and, I, and I promise you, it's been like every day since he turned five. For my sixth birthday, I want. For my sixth birthday, I want, right? And so, so I don't know, a couple months ago, he, he came to us and he said, for my sixth, and he's got this long list, like 75 things on the list. And he, he said, oh, for my sixth birthday, I want a hamster. No, no, no all that, a hamster, like a rat, I don't even know where he gets this idea. I, we, we, we're not around hamsters. We don't have hamsters. We don't see hamsters. I don't know who told him about it. Maybe it was one of you. <laughs> what have you told him about a hamster? I have no idea, but he wants a rat in his room, right? Like, dude, you're not getting a hamster. Who wants a hamster, right? But, but here's the thing, and, 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 and please don't encourage him in this. If you don't mind helping me out, don't encourage him in this. But, but even if, even if, even if on that day he turns six years old and he wakes up and he comes downstairs and there's a hamster in a cage, which probably ain't gonna happen. But let's just say that it does, right? You know what's gonna happen? The day after he turns six, what's gonna happen? For my seventh birthday, 
for my seventh birthday. I want a snake. And they'll say, no, right? Or whatever it might be. But, but, but all that to say, you get what you want, you accomplish your goals, and it's never enough. You're, you're always left saying, is this it? Is that all? Until, until, now watch, come on now, come in close, until you meet Jesus. On the day you meet Jesus and understand who he is and what he's done for you, no longer you say, is this it? Instead you begin saying what? This is it. Because you found it. You found joy. You found that it's not about what you've accomplished. It's not about getting what you want. It's about what God has accomplished for you through his son, Jesus. The accomplishment of the death and resurrection. I know, I know what you're thinking right now. Preacher, you've told us this before. I know that, but listen again. When Jesus died and rose again, he did what you could not do. He defeated sin and death for you and paved a way for you to be restored and renewed, to be brought into the kingdom of God. And so now watch this. Here's why you have joy this morning. You can have joy because your confidence isn't in all these things that Paul talks about. Instead, your confidence is where? In the work of God, right? Your confidence is in the work of God. But, 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 but Paul's not done. I know you'd like for me to be done, but Paul's not done, right? So listen to what he says. Come on down. Look at it again. Whatever gain I had, loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now circle that word knowing because this will blow your mind. What Paul is saying, I count everything lost. All those things I gained, my status. Now, now why? this is amazing. Paul had lots of accomplishments, but he traded all of those accomplishments for what? Affliction. He's in prison when he writes this. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. I trade all that. I'll gladly take on the affliction because I get what? Because I get Jesus. I get to know him, right? Paul's joy is rooted in what? Not only the work of God, but the relationship. You follow? The relationship he has with Jesus, right? You can have joy because of your confidence is in the work of God, but you can also have joy because your confidence is in your relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not. I hope you do. But you've been invited into a relationship with God. Let that sink in for just a moment. A relationship with God, like the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who is infinite, the one who knows everything, the one who holds all of life in his hands, has invited a filthy wretch like you and me into a relationship with him. Do you, do you follow? Check this out. I don't know if you know this or not, but every day, every day, you have the opportunity to talk, to talk to God. Every day, you have the opportunity to hear him, God. Every day, you have the opportunity, now watch this, to serve him, to live the kind of life that he, God. This isn't your buddy. This isn't your friend. This isn't your spouse. Your ch- God. And Paul says, listen, when I, when I grasp that, take it all. My accomplishments, what I've gained, my identity, my ethnicity, none of that matters because I have God. I'll gladly lose it all because watch this now. What Paul's gonna go on saying, I've got to move fast. What I found in God, right? What I found in Christ, righteousness. 
That's what Paul wanted. That's why he was so religious, trying to make his way to God. But he never got there. But, 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 but when, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he found it. Righteousness. You know this. I don't have to tell you this because I've told you this a million times. That's what we preachers do, right? But, but, but listen, Jesus Christ has made you righteous. Through your faith in Jesus Christ, you are treated by God as if you never sinned. And you have a lot. Probably some this morning, right? You are treated as if you never sinned. And now watch this on the flip side. If you place your faith in Jesus, you are also treated as if you have always obeyed him, which you haven't. But that's the gift through faith because of what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. Talk about joy. You've been given righteousness. God sees you as if you've lived the life of Jesus and you have not, right? And he gives you a new identity. Think about it. What Paul's saying here is what? I count all loss because I get to know Jesus. I mean, I've got a righteousness that's not of my own, but of him. And, 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 and man, I, I share in his sufferings. I mean, if you think about it, Paul sounds a little bit sadistic here, doesn't he? But Paul knows something. That when he suffers for the gospel, he gets just a taste, a small taste, but just a taste of what Jesus went through for him, right? And when you suffer for Jesus, when you suffer because of what you believe or how you live your life for the sake of the gospel, you get just a taste of what Jesus did. That, that's a new identity. Who cares about the other stuff? I just want to know. I want to know the power of his love and, and what, what, what he's done for me, right? And so, so, so because of the confidence I have in my relationship with Jesus, I have this new identity. I have this new righteousness and I have this new resurrection power. It's, it's present, follow, and it's future. Right now, resurrection power lives in you. Amen? You have the power to overcome sin. You have the power to live the life that God wants you to live. You have the power to endure with joy and with grace through things like a pandemic. You have the power to endure. Resurrection power lives in you. And then someday, resurrection power, if Christ does not return first, resurrection power is going to raise you from the dead. And you will forever be with Jesus. This is where Paul's confidence lies. In this. This is why Paul says, I'm in prison, don't know if I'll live or die, but I have joy. And I know I sound like a broken record, but you can have it too. Because it's not based on anything else, but confidence in the work of God and the relationship I have with Jesus. That's it. Now, here's where it gets tough for us. Think about what Paul said. I've counted all loss for the sake of Christ. I consider all that stuff as rubbish. Come on, real close. Give me three more minutes. Rubbish. In the Greek language, that's an interesting word because it's a word that also can be translated and maybe this, it says this in some of your Bible translations as dung, right? Human waste. You have a choice this morning. You can choose to feast on the joy of the Lord the one who's accomplished everything for you, the one who is the bread of life, or you can choose to feast on dung. That's what Paul's saying. I used to feast on this stuff, on, on my status, on my accomplishments, on my identity, my ethnicity, uh, all those things, but it was nothing but dung. 
Now I'm feasting on Jesus. And, and so, so here's the invitation for you. Are you following? Some of us this morning for the first time need to taste and see that God is good. Because what happened, and I'm talking specifically to you who are followers of Jesus. So listen carefully. What happened for some of us as followers of Jesus is years ago, we prayed a prayer, right? Jesus, forgive me my sins. And, and, and then we were baptized and, and we trusted Jesus to save us from hell. And he did. We did, we trusted that. But you know what you never trusted Jesus for? You never trusted him for your joy, right? You trusted that he would save you for hell, from hell, but you did not trust that he was enough for you day in and day out to sustain you and give you the joy your heart longs for. And so now listen, I, Psalm 34, eight, David says, taste and see, he's good. And there are some of us followers of Jesus this morning that, that once and for all, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that means, now watch, putting ourselves in a position to taste and see. It takes discipline. It takes work. It takes daily pursuit. If you're not daily pursuing, if you're not disciplining yourself to be in the word, to pray, to be around people who want to encourage you and disciple you, you're never going to taste and see. And you're going to continue to feast on dung. And so listen, come, come on now, be honest with me. Because I'm talking to a room full of people where I know many of you have placed your faith in Jesus. But there's little joy. There's frustration. There's bad moods, right? There's anger. There's discontentment. There's I wish this life would just get over with already. But there's no joy. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of joy because of confidence in who God is and what he's done for us in our relationship with him. And this morning, for some of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, you taste and see. Today is a day where we make a decision to trust Jesus not only with our eternal destiny, but to trust Jesus with our joy, that he really is enough. So I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know all the steps you need to take for that but I know that it starts with repentance. There have been many of us now for years who've been trying to find joy elsewhere. We've been putting our confidence in all kinds of things that have never brought us joy. And this morning, God is simply saying to you, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then there are those of us in this room who've never placed our faith in Jesus. My friend, it is a crazy world. And the reality is, you're not gonna make it without Jesus. You're not. But this morning, your life can change forever. If you'll believe that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus, who was fully human and fully God, did what you could not do. He lived a perfect life and then went to a cross and died the death that you deserve because of your rebellion towards God. Jesus took your punishment. Took what you deserve. And as a gift, he now wants to give you his righteous life. Jesus accomplished something for you in his death. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving once and for all that, that, that he was more than a man, that he was the God man that came to deliver you from your sin and give you a relationship with God. And this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never believed that he is the Messiah, come. I would love to talk to you this morning during this time of invitation. I would love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. 
how you can know him as your Lord and how you can finally find the joy your heart longs for. So as we have a time of invitation, you come now as the spirit of God leads you. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time and your word. Father, all over this room, uh, there are people who need to experience some joy and it's attainable. We can have it as we put our confidence in the work of God and the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And so Father, help us. Help us to look to you for joy this morning, to taste and see that you are good. And for that person, that man, that woman that's here who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray today would be that person's day of salvation, that today people come trusting you as Lord of their lives. So Father, have your way now, I ask, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have time of invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.